Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, <clears throat> as we uh, have seen and sung and heard already this morning, this is Advent. And so for each of the uh, four weeks of Advent this year, we're going to look and read together um, something from the beginning of each one of the Gospels. Uh, the opening lines or the opening scenes of each of the Gospels tell us something important about what it meant and about what it means for Jesus to come to us. So this morning, uh, I'm going to read from the beginning of Mark's Gospel. I'll read from Mark 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea, and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask now uh, that you would visit us in this word that we have read and heard together, um, that you would come to us again by the power of your spirit and show us the grace of the word who bears our flesh, who is seated with you right now, um, praying for people like us. Um, show us this grace of G Jesus again and uh, change us by it, we ask. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, a few uh, weeks back, we had a uh, Christmas catalog delivered to our house in the mail. Uh, now, far be it from me uh, to take any cheap shots at big corporate behemoths. So I'm not going to tell you who the catalog came from. Um, it's not really important anyway, because what caught my eye was the catchphrase uh, on the front cover of this catalog. The catchphrase was, joy delivered. <laughs> joy delivered. And I have to tell you, that really got me thinking. Um, first, it had me thinking about how thin a definition of joy that is. I mean, I think of uh, joy as a pretty strong word. Joy is a word that uh, implies a settledness and a contentment, contentment with things uh, as, as they are in the present, not as we might wish them to be. Um, and here's one of the facts about being a human being. Um, here's just something that's true for all of us, no matter what we believe. Um, to whatever extent we make uh, our own joy dependent on things happening or things not happening, to, to whatever extent we make our own joy dependent on getting things or getting rid of things, um, we're always going to be people who are chasing joy and never really finding it. I mean, we might taste a little bit of momentary happiness, and, and uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. 
But momentary happiness is a very different thing um, than joy. So when I saw the, the cover of that catalog and I saw joy delivered, it just seemed uh, weird to me that joy could be delivered to my house um, if I bought a bunch of stuff. But it does raise a really good question, and that question is, what is the source of joy? Where does joy come from? You know, we are a restless people, I think. And sometimes we're restless because we make ourselves that way. And other times we're restless because of things that are happening that are outside of our control. But our restlessness is what makes us chase after joy. Scripture, though, is really clear about what the source of joy is for people like us. For us, joy is a gift that God gives to us, gives to us by his spirit. Joy comes from enjoying God. As uh, St. Augustine said, we're restless until we find our rest in him. But here's the truth. God knows what we're like. Like the psalm writer says, he, he remembers our frame and he knows that we are easily distracted people. So the reality is, for people like us, most of our looking for God usually consists of us realizing that he has already come to us. And so that's why I love the first lines of Mark's gospel. Those first few lines, if we can really hear it, are a shout of joy across a wilderness of restless chasing. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if we can, if, if we can hear it and if we need it, and I, I'll be honest, I don't know where you are, but I definitely need it. These words are a gracious reminder that God has come to us. We do not need to look for him very hard. And that's definitely how Mark, the gospel writer, wants it to be heard. He famously skips all of the angels and, and wise men and uh, mangers. He just jumps right in by quoting some of the prophets. You know, he says that it's from the book of Isaiah, um, but there's also some Malachi in there. There's even an echo of Exodus in there. And this is Mark's way of letting us know that things are going to happen exactly like God said it would go down. I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And I got to tell you, for the people who first heard these words or read them, for the people who first experienced this moment, this, these words and that experience would have been like sirens, it would have been like alarm bells going off, startling them out of a very long sleepwalk. I mean, nationally, of course, they're being overseen uh, by the Romans, but the Romans are just the latest in a long succession of foreign overlords. The political life of their uh, country is continuing to limp forward. The, the machinery of the temple and their religious life is still grinding away, but there is something vacant in it. There is something passive about it. Probably because it was being run by folks who were more concerned with working personal angles with the Roman overlords than, than being concerned with faithfulness. 
Now, there were outliers to this, of course. There were outliers, names like Elizabeth and, and Zachariah and Anna and Simeon come to mind. These are people who hadn't let the dominant human order of things lull them. They hadn't let the dominant human order of things lull them into thinking that God isn't there or that God still isn't in the business of keeping his good promises, but many had been lulled, chasing after pseudo-joys like money or power or revolution, sleepwalkers. And they needed a wake-up call. <laughs> and they definitely got a wake-up call. Mark says, John appeared, <laughs> baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And to fill out the picture, Mark tells us more about John. He says he wore camel, camel hair and a leather belt, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. I mean, everything about this picture of John, everything about it, where John was, what John was doing, what John looked like, what John ate, everything about this picture of John was this compelling, audacious, forceful protest against the dominant human order of the day. Now, the people who controlled that order, the people who, who were benefiting from that order, they got it. They got what was happening with John, and they hated him for it. But that is not Mark's point here. Mark's point is that people woke up. How do we know that they woke up? Well, in verse 5, he says, the country, all of the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him to be baptized by him in the wilderness. People, they came out to John in throngs, out into the wilderness, to the banks of a muddy river, to a guy who looked a little bit scary, to a guy whose preaching lit them up, whose essential message was, you have got to repent. <laughs> that call, uh, that John made to them. That call to repentance, like I, I sometimes like to say at the table, was a call to leave the dominant human order of things. It was a call to leave every other way of living and being. Le leave those things that do harm to us and do harm to the people around us. Leave those ways that have habituated a life without God and those ways that have habituated maybe a life where God is just kind of window dressing. It's a call to turn from that order to the one place that you're actually going to find life and, and peace and joy. I'll tell you why people came out to John in throngs. Because it smelled like life out there in the wilderness. It smelled like something real was happening. Like maybe things would change, like the whole world maybe could change, and people thought maybe I could have a part in that. It felt true and real and life-giving out there, like maybe I could change. <laughs> maybe the people around me could change, like this is the beginning of the good news. It felt like God had come to them. And church, you, you and I, we, we live in a dominant order too. <laughs> we live in a dominant human order and it lulls us into the same kind of 
joyless sleepwalking. You know, the order that you and I live in, it tells us all kinds of messed up stuff. It tells us things that, you know, like consuming things and getting things will make us happy. It tells us that the people who are around us who are difficult um, and hard to be around, that they aren't worth our time and they aren't worth our energy. The dominant human order tells us that, that the things that we want as individuals or the things that we want as a little tribe, that those are sacred and that we should never allow our wills to be crossed. The dominant order of our world tells us that we can insulate ourselves from trouble if we have the right politics or the right amount of money or just enough power. And on and on this order commands us into that sleepwalking. And it's worth taking a moment for all of us to ask, you know, what are those pseudo joys that I am sleepwalking for? But church, here's the good news. <laughs> the counter movement is afoot. <laughs> and it is full of life. Because it begins with the news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It begins by saying, God has come to us. It's not our order of things. It's not even John's order of things. He makes that really clear. He says, after me, someone is coming who is mightier than I, whose, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie, which is a beautiful way of saying you haven't seen anything yet. I'm baptizing you with water, but he baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. He will give his very self to you. And in that gift, he will start working new life in you. And in that gift, he will start working a whole new order of things for the world. And in that order, we are forgiven and we are worthy, not because of how we perform, but because of his great love and sacrifice. In that order, we find that it is in giving of ourselves that we find happiness. In that order, we learn that the good of the world is more important than my own individual good. And we allow our wills to be crossed because we learn that it is healthy and good and right. In that order, our hopes rest firmly in the God who has come to us in Jesus, and that makes us less reluctant to rest on any lesser thing. And in that order, joy comes to people like us, not when we chase it, but when we receive it as a gift, a good gift, a fruit of the Holy Spirit with whom we have been baptized. This is John's shout of joy across a wilderness of restlessness. So for me and you, let's wake up or wake up again and in repentance and faith follow the one who has come to us in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would help us to hear 
the essential message of, of John, who comes as a striking image, who comes as a striking protest to all that is wrong and broken and entrenched in this world. Father, help us to see him and help us to hear him and to hear the essential message, which is wake up and turn away from those things that can't give life and toward, turn towards those things are, that are the only place where you will find life. Father, we ask that you would renew in us that call and that you would strengthen in us that daily rhythm of repentance and faith that we would follow after the one who has come to us. Do that so that we will be maturing in our own faith, so that we'll grow up in our own faith and do that so that through us, you can love this broken world around us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.